I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi everyone, welcome to the Know Your Why podcast. Today we have Anthony Vecino. Uh, Anthony is a best-selling author, real estate investor, and a serial entrepreneur. Uh, he's committed to helping people maximize their return on life. Uh, he, he's actually got, got a lot more than that that I'm, I'm gonna let him talk to us about. Um, Anthony, thanks for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm, I'm really psyched to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you want to go ahead and sort of tell people your story? I, I know a fair bit of it, but uh, I, I think there's some really interesting things and then we'll, we'll dive into whatever whatever seems to strike us. Yeah, let's 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 go into the the origin story. Um, I know you're. We just talked about this beforehand. You're a comic book nerd, so this is episode or this is uh, edition one. Yeah. It, so for me, <laughs> I'm also. By the way, we'll we'll get into this probably, but I'm also a science fiction and fantasy nerd. But my story really starts with the fact that I have like really severe ADHD, and for the first 25 years of my life or so, I really struggled with that, trying to find ways that I could function in normal society. And so coming out of college, it was always clear to me that it was, I was never going to be able to go the corporate route. I was never going to be able to work for other people because I'm, I'm just a really bad employee. Um, I was always getting fired from jobs and I struggled in school. And so like, I just, I, I, I wasn't cut out to fit into the, I would say the classic corporate mold. So I, right out of college, I started looking for other ways that I could pursue my my calling in life and at that point it wasn't really entirely clear what my calling was and so i followed it down a lot of different rabbit holes so for a while i was a professional rock climber and then i started writing science fiction and fantasy novels and i did that for a long time and and then eventually my path led me to entrepreneurship and it was interesting because a lot of the skills that i had to learn and develop for myself to just be able to be a functioning normal member of society, like the habits and routines and beliefs that I had to fit into my, my, my psyche so that I could control my ADHD. Turns out all those things were actually really beneficial for building businesses too. And so I kind of like found that I was, had this innate ability when it came to building businesses and products and services. And so I did, I started doing that and had a lot of success and it was, it's, it's a lot of fun and I still build businesses, but at a certain point, I had to, and I think this is the point of this podcast is like knowing, knowing your why. For me, it, it came to this inflection point where it was no longer enough just to build things for the sake of building them because it was fun. I really started struggling with the question of impact. And a mentor of mine had said something to me once that was really powerful. And it wasn't his quote, it's from somebody else. I can't remember who it was, but it was to the effect of responsibility is the price of freedom. And I looked at my life and I was like, well, I have a lot of freedom and I'm really blessed in that way. And so what's the responsibility that I'm paying forward? And that led me down the, the multifamily investing route because I started trying to answer the question, what were the two things in my life that caused the most friction, most anxiety? 
And for me, it was two things. One was my housing situation. There was a time I was living in the back of a van because I had nowhere else to go and money. There was a time when I was also living in that van where I was $80,000 in debt. So those were the two things that were really stressful to me. And I was like, is there a way that I could help solve this for other people? And so multifamily investing came onto my radar because it would allow me to do two things. One was serve residents living in our apartment communities really well, because there's always this inherent tension between landlords and renters. This is their home, but they don't own it. And that's a very disempowering thing. It's very, there's just a lot of tension there. And so when I started investing in multifamily assets, I was like, I want to be able to make a positive impact on the lives of our residents so that they feel pride and in satisfaction and happiness in living in these in these apartments. And then the other side of it was the money side. And I have six brothers and sisters, and they're probably in the same position that I was maybe like a decade ago, where they don't know what they're doing with their money, they're putting into their 401k or their IRA, they're investing in the stock market, because that's kind of what you were told to do. But they don't really know what they're doing. And so um, I wanted to be able to provide a better investment opportunity for them specifically to get them involved in an asset class that you read about how real estate has made more millionaires than any other asset class. And it's like, well, I think the problem is a lot of people don't feel like it's accessible to them. And so that kind of led me to where I am now, where we founded Invictus Capital about two years ago, where we threw open the doors and, and invited people into invest alongside of us in these assets. So that's kind of the really long, twisting, windy, convoluted answer to the the question of who I am and where I came from. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot there and, and a lot that actually really resonates with me. I think, uh, you know, you, you talk about your ADHD and, and you know, thank you for being open and sharing that. I think it's a it's a funny thing that at times in my life, I've I've never been diagnosed. I feel like there's a a certain personality that goes along with entrepreneurship and, and by extension, real estate, because you almost have to like have your mind work in a lot of different directions at the same time and, and have a lot of energy and things like that. But it can also be obviously very detrimental at times in, in the sense that you can't focus yourself. And it, it struck me that, you know, you were uh, as a rock climber, I'd imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'd imagine that was a a focus point, right? You, you can't, mm -hmm. you know, be climbing and not, not be paying attention. Your mind, your mind needs to be there and be interactive in it. And I feel like that's kind of how I feel in, in surgery, mm -hmm. right? So in surgery, I, I think, you know, a lot of people would think being a surgeon is a stressful job. When I'm in surgery, that's as focused as I can ever be. And my and my mind just does it and that and it i don't feel the distractions i don't feel the things pulling and so i think that there's uh you know it can be if you figure out how to control that then it's a really good a tool that you can use you know at some point mm -hmm. yeah what you're touching on is you know there's some really unique aspects of having adhd and it took me a long time to figure out that there were actually some super strengths that that I have as a person with ADHD. So like one is a lot of people misunderstand ADHD into thinking that I don't have the ability to focus, right? But it's not that, it's not that I can't focus. It's that I can't always control what I'm focused on. Right. But when I am focused on something, when I'm really interested in it, 
then I go into what's known as a hyper-focused state. And this is very similar to what we would consider the flow state for, you know, when you're at this level of consciousness where you feel good and you're performing your best, where you're just in the zone. And I think we all have had that experience of being in flow, but it's one of the, not only is it like the most productive state that we can spend our time in as a human, because like we are just in that task, but it's also the most fulfilling and rewarding. It's one of the highest levels of pleasure that we can achieve is when we go into these flow states. So for me, a lot of my success in life and failures is as a result of what I was hyper-focusing on. And so climbing is a great example where if you want to succeed, you need to be there. You need to be entirely with it in that moment. And that's really fun for me because everything else falls away. And all those squirrels that you could be chasing, you're no longer thinking about them because you're consumed. And it feels, it's, it's kind of weird to say, but it feels good to be consumed in that way. Yeah, no, I, I, I 100% know exactly what you're talking about. You know, sort of that, that feeling of focus that maybe you don't feel it other times in your life. And you're like, why, you, that focus actually gives you joy. I, yeah. I think it, it's something that you can really, you know, kind of uh, latch onto and <laughs> use as a strength. So, so that's mm-hmm. awesome. And then, so from rock climber to author, tell me a little bit about, about that. And I, and I imagine that also comes, comes back to focus. Yeah. So writing is an interesting one because if you'd asked me at any moment up into the moment where I started writing, if you'd ever asked me, are you going to be a writer? I just said, no, like no way. Yeah. But it's funny because my dad recognized in me from a very early age when I was uh, like a preteen that I had an aptitude for storytelling and writing. And so he started cultivating it. He would buy me books. Like one of my birthday presents when I was 15 was a book by Stephen King called On Writing. And at that point, I hadn't really expressed any interest in writing, but he had just noticed. He's like, you got a, you got a skill. He's, and he started just like kind of grooming it. It wasn't pressuring in any way. But his way of encouraging it was he started paying me to write him short stories. So he would pay me 10 cents per word, which is way too much to be paying a preteen who (laughs) is just going to fill that with a lot of adverbs and adjectives. A lot of words. A lot of words. So it's not my best writing by any means. But all that's to say is that that skill had been developed in this way where I never really thought I was going to apply it until... At a point in my life, I wanted to marry this woman. And I went to her parents and said, hey, can I marry your daughter? And they said, sure, but how are you going to provide for her? And at that point in my life, I was a professional rock climber, which like sounds really glorious, right? Like everybody wants to be a professional rock climber, but it doesn't pay well. You're really just living in the dirt most days of your life. You just live under the stars and you climb all day. And that's a great life if that's what you enjoy being in the wilderness and living that. But it's not, it's not a means to like great financial stability. So their question was, you know, apropos. And I was like, well, what am I going to do? I never really thought about what I would do because I'm, I always just assumed I'd figure it out. And so that question was posed to me. And I was like, well, what can I do? And the first thing that, for whatever reason, first thing that came to mind was, I'll just be an author. Like that seemed like the, Makes sense. It, yeah. And this Ten is where ADHD, ADHD comes in handy again, because one of the things about us is that we're impulsive. And so we're, we're not so risk averse. We jump into things without really thinking them through. And we're like, eh. and honestly, the universe has this soft spot for people who have a bias towards action, you know, like fortune favors the bold. And so I just started writing. And a year later, 
uh, published my first novel. And then over the next three or four years, I published 10 more and they did really well. And it was like, oh, cool. You know, like I'd never really thought that was going to be the case, but it's also one of those situations where you got to be really careful what you wish for. I felt a little bit like the dog who catches the car and then doesn't know what to do with it because what ended up happening is I started writing and it sounds again, really glamorous to be a writer, but what it really means is that you spend all your day locked in a room telling stories to yourself. You don't have much engagement with other people. You don't get out of your, your own skin. And that wasn't healthy for me. I started like to fall into a depression and it was unhealthy for me and my girlfriend at the time. And I, I, I knew that I could stay on that path and find a lot of success, but it wasn't filling me with fulfillment because at the end of the day, I love science fiction and fantasy, but at its root, it's really about escapism. And that is a very, very valuable thing. Like, no, don't get me wrong. People need to have escapism and they need to be entertained. But I wasn't feeling as though that was fulfilling my highest calling in life. And so that's, that's what sent me looking for, okay, how can I make a bigger impact beyond just sitting here and telling stories about things that go boom, you know, lasers, aliens, and robots are a lot of fun, but they don't make you feel like at the end of the day, like you made people's lives better for having been part of this, this crazy merry-go-round around the sun. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, I think, I, I guess I would argue a little bit that it, it probably does make people's lives better in, in a entertainment, you know, sort of that ability to, for people to escape from whatever is bothering them. And, and, you know, we, we touched on it, but I'm a big fan of, you know, sort of the superhero genre. You can mm -hmm. just kind of see that behind me. My son's yep. name is Logan after Wolverine. I mean, it's no, it's no secret. Everybody knows, you know, kind of what I, <laughs> what I really enjoy from a, from an entertainment standpoint. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, certainly it, it provides something, but if it, if you don't feel it, right? If you don't mm -hmm. feel like you're, I mean, if it's not your why, right? It, it does sound glamorous and you can be successful and you, you are successful and you did all that. But at the same time, if it's not kind of pushing you uh, and, and sort of making you excited about it all the time, mm -hmm. it's going to be, it's going to be hard to sort of keep that up despite what, what outsiders might think, oh, that's so cool. He's a science fiction author. Look, his books are doing great. But it's at the same time, you know, not always going to, it doesn't mean that that fulfills you, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think part of it is, I, I, man, I am such a nerd. I have like, if you look at my library, it's 90% science fiction and fantasy and comic books, and I love it. But one of the things that I had a hard time with is I would, I'd publish a book and you would get a little bit of feedback. Like you would see the sales numbers and like, oh, people are buying this, but you wouldn't hear a lot from people. And most people aren't going to reach out and be like, this story changed my life. Or, you know, like right. that's few and far between, especially when you're writing kind of more like um, action, adventure, fun, consumable science fiction. And so I'm sure that there's people out there who are like, yeah, this meant a lot to me, but it, that feedback loop wasn't making it back to me. So I needed to have like some sort of more like visibility of like, here's what I'm doing. Oh, and I can see the person. I can, I can see my resident or I can see my investor and I can see how their life is positive for, for me existing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I guess that's probably a good transition into Invictus Capital and sort of how that all started and, and how you made that transition and, and you know, sort of what you're up to with that. Yeah, so, 
you know, my journey with real estate is funny because um, there's all these like intersection points in my life where I, I just never saw real estate until like one day it is kind of like a eureka moment. The light bulb goes off and it, it feels like the universe is kind of hitting me over the head with it because when I was in college, um, my roommate and his dad were doing fix and flips and I lived with them. And so I got to be part of that process. And all I, all I took away from that was, man, I hate construction. I can swing a hammer, but I can't hit the nail. I don't, I don't think I've cut out for this. So for me, like real estate was equated with swinging hammers and like hanging sheetrock. And I was not cut out for that. And so, you know, that was the first intersection point. And then I went away for many years from ever seeing anything about real estate. And then a buddy comes to me one day and he's like, Hey, I'm buying these quads and these triplexes. Do you want to do that together? And I was like, no, that sounds horrible, but I'll give you money. so that you can go do it. I'll invest with you. Like that sounds easy. Great. So he went and did that. And again, like as the universe said, Hey, do this thing. And like, I'm just slow, I guess. Cause I like, I didn't dive in at that point either. So it was another five years later. Um, in 2017, before I finally was like, wait a minute, real estate, multifamily, like the pieces, like for whatever reason, the story that I tell people that like really the light bulb went off is I was driving into downtown Minneapolis one day, looked up at the skyline and was hit with the question, what's it take to buy a skyscraper? And it occurred to me at that moment, I was like 32 years old. And that had never crossed my mind before. I had never asked who owns all these apartment buildings that I drive by all day. Even when I lived in there, it never occurred to me to ask that question. And at that point, I was building another business, a manufacturing business. And so I, I was still doing that, but I started at nights and I started learning about multifamily assets, started reading on it, started listening to podcasts and going to meetup events. Because the more I learned about it, the more I was like, wow, this is super simple. It's super straightforward. And it's incredibly scalable. It's like Legos. Once you understand how those pieces go together, you can just build to the moon. You could build a skyscraper. You could build the Death Star, a tractor. Like you can do anything with Legos. And that's what multifamily was for me. It became like, that's the vehicle where I can make massive impact on a lot of lives just because of how simple and straightforward it is. Whereas like the manufacturing business that we were building at that time, manufacturing is very complex. We were dealing with polyurethanes and, you know, distribution from China. And it's like that, that gets pretty convoluted pretty quickly, but real estate, man, these things are just like pretty straightforward. Once you understand in a and how to increase uh, income, decrease expenses, and you're pretty much good to go. So that's kind of like what finally got me into multifamily. And I started small. I wanted to prove that I understood exactly how to run these things by using my money first before ever inviting other investors to come alongside on the journey. So I started with a triplex that I house hacked, lived in one side, rented out the others, uh, very quickly learned that I did not like small properties because of a lot of the reasons that come with scale and efficiencies of that. And so after that property, I started scaling up from there and it took about a year and a half before I felt I had the necessary skills and competency to be able to work with passive investors and because it's a pretty sacred responsibility, somebody giving you their money in a very real way, like they traded their life for that. And so if you look at it through that lens, somebody's not just giving you $50,000, they're giving you $50,000 worth of their life. And so I wanted to be really certain that by the time we ever took anybody's money that we were, we could do right by it. And so fortunately I found a really great partner, um, Dan Kruger and I, and we, it's just a match made in heaven and that our skills are so complimentary. And that gave me a lot of confidence and him a lot of confidence to say, oh, we could, 
we can do this together so much better than on our own. And that's one of the coolest things about real estate is that it's really a, a we game, not a me game. Like the more people that you can get involved, the better overall it's going to to play out. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly, you know, building your team uh, will allow you, you know, we talked, you talked about scale, building your team and having people really settle into their, you know, strong skill sets uh, and, and then you balancing each other out. It, it just makes everything that much easier. And I think, you know, you touched on taking investors capital um, and, and the $50,000 being a part of, you know, that's like, if you, you break it down into how many hours it took them to make that $50,000, that's, that's a big chunk of their life. And I think uh, when you look back at, you know, I think a lot of people in real estate, the majority of people in real estate didn't come from a bunch of money, right? There's a mm-hmm. lot of, we all have, I mean, I'm sure there are people that do, but there, we all have sort of that story. You know, you said you were in debt and, and uh, <laughs> I, I don't come from money at all. And it's like, so it never, that never goes away. Right. I think mm-hmm. like once you've been sort of without, I feel like at least for me, it, it stays there. I know, you know, that, that what it means to people. And I think uh, in terms of it, the less you have, almost the more it means to you. But I, I think it's it's something that is a good quality to have as the syndicator, as the you know sponsor of the deal, that you value your investors' money that much because then you're going to do everything you possibly can to one preserve their capital and to make them a bunch of money. I mean that's that's kind of the what you're trying to do for them. Um, yeah, I think I think it's a really good place for everybody to come from at least once in their life to be poor and like to worry about where the how they're going to scrounge together the money for their next meal and like they have to do the the mental calculus between do I put gas in my car or do I buy food and like granted you have a car so you're not like dirt poor but like there there's a lot of value that comes when you have to really measure out the length of a dollar and say like what's this worth because once you once you've lived through that and I've, I've lived through that. It sounds like you probably have a similar experience with that, where it's like, that never goes away. Even years later, I'm doing very, very well now. I still, I'm still very spending averse because I look at it. I'm like, $10 is a lot of money. I could buy, I could buy a couple of meals with that. Like, right. I don't know how to spend that. And like right. my girlfriend gives me a hard time. She's like, you're, you're too frugal, but like yeah, that pain never goes away once you, once you've experienced it. Right. You, once you do it, you don't want to go back to it. And mm-hmm. so you kind of have that, you know, I don't want to, negative, <laughs> negative influence of what that pain felt like, and you don't want to want to end up back there. And, and, you know, I think also, once you have a family, other people to take care of, mm-hmm. then that even makes it a bigger thing. And, and then once you have properties, and now you have a property full of tenants that effectively you're taking care of as well there becomes a great deal of responsibility. And so recognizing the, the value behind the dollar, you know, that every mm-hmm. dollar can, can matter uh, is, is very important. Um, you mentioned providing for your tenants. Uh, and I think that's, I'm sure there are investors that don't always think that way, but I do think that's something that, that I do hear a lot from uh, real estate multifamily investors and what, you know, sort of, their goal is to create uh, a good environment, you know, a, a pride of almost ownership for the people living in these in these buildings. 
what do you what do you guys do uh, to sort of do that? There's a there's a funny example, but um, when I first moved to California, uh, we lived in one apartment. We we were moving to be closer to work, and looking at a couple in one of the places I went to, they're like, oh, we have a food truck here every Wednesday night. I was like, I'm sold. I was like, just <laughs> that's it. I'm like, I mean, it was like one one little thing like that that I I mean I've lived in lots of apartments in my life and so it was like the that one little thing was just enough for me to be like yeah this place is this place is good I'm good but what yeah. do you guys do at your, at your it's funny place? how little things can go so far right. you know yeah. and, and honestly I think you're right I think the narrative is is starting to shift in the last couple of years I think I think a large part of it is that syndicating and people are just becoming more aware that apartment buildings are things that they could own like regular people that have good jobs but you know they're not ultra wealthy by any means and they are people that are coming from the perspective of you know i used to live in an apartment building and maybe i still do like it sucks it, it, it can suck and so they want to make a positive impact whereas i think if you rewind 20 30 years ago it was such a more niche thing and the only people that were really getting into it were if you were in the country club and you knew another guy or gal who was syndicating a thing, like, okay, let's go in together on this thing. So it was just like a much different mindset, I think, and demographic of people getting involved. And it's really cool to see that shifting because it, at the end of the day, real estate, like it's, yeah, it can make you wealthy. It can provide great returns, but it, the mistake is just to, to look at the spreadsheets and the numbers and to look at the sticks, the bricks of the building and not see that the product is actually the humans living inside of that, that it's a flesh and blood product that you're, you're serving there. And so what we try to do is like focus on a couple of different things. One is community. And it sounds like the, the food truck is one way, you know, that you're, that was a way of building community and fostering the sense of like, Oh, they care about me. I belong here. And I think that's a really big part of it. You don't have to go crazy. Uh, making somebody feel like they matter, that they're acknowledged, it goes so far. And so little things like whenever a property manager is on site and they see a resident, they have to stop and say hi and ask them, how's your day going? And making the intention of asking, hey, how's it going here? Do you like your apartment? Is there anything that you would change? What's what's frustrating you right now? And letting people have an opportunity to, to have a voice because I think that is the main thing that most apartment renters don't feel like they have is they don't control this thing. Somebody else controls it. And so it feels, they feel powerless. But if they, they feel connected and they know that you're listening and that you know, they know that you care, that you're going to follow through, right? Like you can't, make all the changes that the the residents would like but you can acknowledge that that's their desire and like work through it with them why that might be feasible or what might be a better alternative and that comes down to communication like understand that the power dichotomy is in your favor as the landlord like you have all the power ostensibly they might stop paying rent and with the eviction moratorium that might really suck for you but like you you really have the power in the relationship and so it's on you to over communicate and it's you, your job to reach out to bridge that gap. It's not the, the resident's job to, to bridge it for you. And if you want to build a, a community of people who feel engaged and feel like they matter, then one, they're going to take care of the property. So that's, that's just great. You know, return on karma is one of those things that's hard to measure, but it always comes out positive. If you put out good into the universe, it comes back to you. So if you take care of the tenants, they take care of the property 
win-win. And then they let you know when things are falling apart and they can, like, you can improve them. And so, you know, communication, acknowledgement, build community, and then stability, like make sure that people understand what the rules of the game are and don't change those on people unless you've clearly communicated that with them. Man, like <laughs> I, I had a, I had a landlord once and I'm sure we've all had this, like a horror landlord story where it's like every other day, they, it, was, it felt like they were changing the rules. Like, oh, you can't do this after nine o'clock. No, I meant seven o'clock. Oh, I'm writing you up because you did it after six. It's like, wait, what? like so being you know stable and consistent with what you're presenting so those are just like things and, and this is like it's not any one thing it's more of a an ethos or a culture or a way of thinking about the residents not just as a a number or a right. dollar sign but that right. they're actually a person yeah yeah for sure yeah they're i mean they're, yeah they're people and we're providing housing for them and this is you know that it needs to feel safe and cared for and all of that and i mean it's it's funny because it's you think about you know this sort of older mentality maybe of of the slumlord and that's what you know i think a lot of people think of landlords that way and that's you know it, it, i'm sure it's not entirely untrue uh and and hopefully there's there is a shift and it seems like there's a shift to change and it, it's it's aside from the humanity side of it, which is the most important thing. I mean, in reality, one of the biggest expenses a landlord has is vacancy. So mm -hmm. you might as well make that place a place that people don't want to leave, right? And just, it's like the food truck example, they didn't pay for the food truck. They just arranged a food truck to be there once a week. That's all they had. It's simple. It's easy stuff. It's just a matter of kind of showing that effort that, hey, here, here's this cool thing like you know you see like the same people out of the food truck every week and get to know your neighbors and it, it's just a a kind of a good community building type of situation i think mm -hmm. it, it reminds me of the idea that doing the right thing is always the right thing but unfortunately quite often the right thing isn't something that you can measure with a spreadsheet you can't quantify it and yeah. so if you're looking to be able to calculate a metric of like what's your return on that investment of the food truck like you can't do it. So a lot of people might just discard it then. But if you want to build a thriving business, and that's really what we're trying to build at the end of the day, is not just, you know, we're not just investors and buying buildings, like we're you're building businesses. And if you want mm -hmm. to succeed, you need to have fanatical customers who love your product. Yeah. And if they do, then they, when it's time for them to move on to their next step in life, they're going to make it so much easier for you to fill the vacancy because they're going to recommend it to a friend. You know, like I can't tell you, like I had a, an awesome apartment and awesome landlords when I first moved back to Minnesota many years ago. And when I finally left, I was like, I want to, I, I want to put a friend or somebody into this apartment because it's such a cool apartment. And so I, I, I did all the work for those landlords of just getting the next person lined up just because I was like, I want my friends to be there too, because it was a great place for me. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's the feeling you want, right? That, that, and you want it mutually, right? You want to, you want to think you have the greatest tenant. They're moving on because now they're buying a house or moving out of mm -hmm. whatever it is, not because they hated living there. And so oh, yeah. it's just kind of, you want it to be that sort of mutual respect and admiration. You want them to tell their friends, Hey, come live in this apartment complex. Like they're pretty great. We have, you know, a, a lot of events or whatever the case may be, but just having that sort of 
feeling of it's a place that people want to live. And I think mm -hmm. it, it is incredibly important. And I, I, I totally agree. Um, you, you threw out mindset in there. And I think I have noticed that mindset is a huge part of real estate investing. And I almost feel like it's mindset is real estate investing, right? It's like, mm -hmm. you have to set your mind that you're going to do, you know, in a, in a certain way to become a real estate investor, that's not the same as just going to work every day at a W2 job. Um, so on that, I know you've got a couple of podcasts, so uh, I don't know if you want to speak to mindset a little bit and maybe tell people about, about your podcasts and kind of, I, I know what they're about, but uh, <laughs> I, I think that they're uh, both very good, uh, you know, sort of subsets of a real estate mindset. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, mindset for me is everything. It's the game, whether, whether you're an entrepreneur or a W2 employee, like it's everything. It's the lens through which you see the world. And if that lens is broken or, you know, cracked, then it's going to affect everything that you see and the way that you move through the universe. And this is, it, it's, I don't know how to say this in any stronger language, but you are a universe of one in that the entirety of your reality is occurring inside of your brain right now, right? Like coming through your ears and your nose, your senses, your brain is interpreting all the inputs and the data to create a representation of the universe. And so what is happening inside of your mind is everything. And when you can unlock that, it makes all the difference in the world. And, and when it comes to investing, it's, it's, you, you can't succeed in this, in this game, unless you have the mindset stuff, not maybe figured out, but moving in the right direction. Like I, I'm not a firm believer that you win every, every battle. My goal is only to win 50.1% of the battles. If I can end the day, just up 0.1% over, you know, the, the negative things in life, then that's moving forward. And that's great. That's progress. And so we, we have two podcasts. One is multifamily investing made simple. And that's all about taking the complexity out of real estate investing because it's a simple thing, but for so many people, it feels daunting and overwhelming. The, uh, the narratives that they have in their head for what it means to be a real estate investor are maybe very skewed or not founded in a lot of uh, facts. And so that podcast is really trying to help people understand regardless of where you are and how you want to be involved in real estate, if you want to be active or passive, there's a place for you. And we just want to make it very accessible and break down that, that, um, that knowledge barrier that keeps so many people from taking the first step. And then the other podcast that we, that I have is, uh, the brain dump. And that's all about studying the psychology of success and success is like such a funny word because everybody defines it differently. And that's why I like, I, I like putting that in the, the subtitle, the psychology of success, because one of the first questions is like, you know, Jason, how do you define success? Because it can be whatever you want it to be. It's not based on you know society saying, "Oh, you need to be a multimillionaire. Or you have to have a mansion." That is quite often the narrative. So many people and young people, especially, get pounded into their brain, and so they feel like they have to live up to the status of that. But at the end of the, as there comes an interesting point, I think I hope in everybody's life where they start to see that the truth of the situation is that you get to dictate all the terms of the game you get to make up the rules and how you're going to judge victory or failure. And once you start doing that, you can stack the deck. 
like you, you control the rules and so you can make the you can make the game play out however you want to but that's really what that podcast is about studying the behaviors of people that we look up to whether they're authors or entrepreneurs or you know athletes and saying like what is it that allows that person to function at the level that they do because um for me struggling with my ADHD the the path for me to unlocking that wasn't me discovering anything new and revolutionary like i'm just a guy who watched a lot of other people do stuff and then like a monkey just started copying them and some of the things worked a lot of them didn't so i ignored the things that didn't i kept doing the things that did and eventually you know boom, here we are and so I think success is it leaves clues. It's replicatable. And depending on what you want to do, if that's like, you want to be the best dad in the world, that's how you measure success. Cool. Study that study the behaviors of people that you look up to. And you're like, that's a good dad. That guy, like my friend, Jim, he's killing it. He's like the best dad I've ever seen. Yeah. Study that. If you want to be an entrepreneur, study the entrepreneurs that are doing it and then model that behavior. And so those are the podcasts that we, we, we put out and they're a lot of fun, honestly, because they, they're kind of self-serving in a lot of ways where we just get to dive into these topics that we find really engaging. And if other people find them entertaining too, then that's just like kind of like dessert. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it, I mean, I think if you're trying to do it to somehow make someone else like it, it'll never be authentic. And it, you know, you just have to do what works for you. And then the people that like it will like it. And that, and that's, you know, what you're going for. I, I think, uh, you know, the, the psychology of success is, is obviously a very, I think a broad topic, but it's, it has a lot of common themes. And I think, you know, you, you mentioned that success is uh, defined differently for every person. And I, I think that definition can even change for you in, as you move through life. Right. So I think, you know, you said a lot of young people think success is defined probably by wealth, cars, big houses, whatever that, whatever that might be. And then, you know, you, you change, you know, maybe that changes over time when you realize that's not, the, not all there is to life. And you, you touched on, you know, being the best, like it, and that's when, when I was young, it was, I had a very defined plan of how I thought things were going to go in life. And it never goes that way, right? It's like everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth and it's, you just <laughs> adapt and, and make something new. But now really i mean you said my goal is to be the best dad i can be like everything is comes down to that it's like i am driven by making making the future good for my kids that's that's kind of ultimately what it comes down to so um i i love it i, I think the brain dump podcast is great uh anthony let me Let's go into some questions that I like to ask sort of uh, all the guests as we go. Um, the first one is very important. Who is your best friend? And I don't ask everyone this, but that's such a good <laughs> there's question. There's a reason behind it. <laughs> there's, that's such a good question. There's two, but one, one is definitely my significant other, Jamie. She's, you know, my best friend, but I also want to acknowledge that my other best friend has been there since the day I was born. And that was my dad. And without him, I would not under any circumstance be the person that I am now. And it took me a really long time to even realize that, honestly, like 
until I started unlocking my ADHD and understanding how it wasn't just a weakness, but it was also a strength. It was also around that time that I started to recontextualize a lot of the interactions I had with my dad when I was younger that had put a chip on my shoulder. And then, and that was just because of context or because of perspective. And as I've gotten older, and I've grown, grown closer with my dad because, you know, when you're young, you look at your parents and you're like, oh, my dad's a superhero. And then you, I think what happened for me was about the time I was a teenager, I started to realize, oh my God, my dad's human. And that, that felt like a betrayal in some ways. And I never, I never um, articulated it in that way, you know, but it was all very subconscious. And I had to unpack this many years later. And where we're at now is like, I can see him as the person that he is and like that he's who he's struggling to be and that, it, it, you know, he's just a human in, in the same way that we all are. And like, yeah, so I would say he's probably my best, best friend. Okay. You, that joke or that question was meant to be a joke because Austin Lindley told me to ask you that and that you had to say him. <laughs> However, <laughs> it may now become a question that I ask everyone because it's, you answered it's that such so a good well. question. It is actually, if, if people will take it that serious, that was fantastic. I'm like, I, I'm actually very touched by your answer. That, that's awesome. <laughs> Um, so sorry, Austin, it's, it's not, yeah, sorry, better sorry Austin, yeah. Austin's like top, I'll put, I'll say top five, Austin, you're top on five. The list. He's on, yeah. yeah, you're on the list. You He's made the, the short list. Second best friend, <laughs> or who knows, something yeah. like that. But yeah, that's funny. Um, well, the name of the podcast is Know Your Why, and, and you have, you know, talked a bit about this, but, uh, if you would maybe recap what, what your why at this point is, uh, I think it, it's, it's really good for people to see what, what success, what successful people use as, you know, sort of their motivation, what keeps them really pushing at such a high level? So there's a, a quote from Maslow that has been a guiding principle for me for a long time. And you might be familiar with Maslow and his hierarchy of needs, which is like, you have to have your basic physiological, emotional needs met before you can start working up the pyramid to self-actualization. But he had this other concept that's been much more impactful for me and it starts with the, the phrase, that which we can be, we must be. And it's this recognition that inside of us all, we feel that there's greatness. And nobody believes they were put on this earth to be average, right? Everybody thinks they're an above average driver. Everybody thinks they're above average in bed. Like nobody thinks that they're average. And the problem is we know that we have greatness in us, but when we're not moving towards that greatness, when we're not in alignment with it, we feel it because we can't lie to ourselves forever. And it manifests as discontent and frustration and anger and resentment, all these negative emotions. And for me, my life really started to take a turn for the better when I started to realize that I did have this greatness and that it's okay to acknowledge that, but it's also okay to acknowledge that I wasn't moving towards it. And so for me now, my why is trying to live up to that idea of like who I could be if I was to every day just get a little bit better. I don't have to be like I said before, I don't have to win every single day by a landslide. If I can just be plus one better every single day, then that's a win. And when it comes to like, how do we give back to the world around us? I'm a firm believer that you can't, you can't reach into the well and pull your buddy out until you're on solid footing. And you can't just pour out of your own cup and fill up everybody else's cup because eventually you'll run empty. And so what you need to do is fill up your cup so that it overflows and then fill up everybody else from that overflow. And so the number one thing that I try to manifest and is 
if I can be my best self, then it gives this subtle permission for everybody around me to also go, Hey, I can be better too. I can be my best because it's, when we start talking about this stuff, depending on your social circle or your friends, your family, they might look at you and be like, you're weird. That's weird. Like what self-improvement, self-help has such a, a, you know, a negative connotation in a lot of people's minds, but it's the number one thing that if you want to change the world, you start with yourself. And so that's, that's my why is like, if I want to change the world, I need to start by changing myself. That's, that's a fantastic answer. I think, yeah, just looking for the, the greatness in yourself. And I, I, some, I work with, with residents training them to do surgery. And I think they sometimes think that they have to be perfect. Yeah. And if they're not perfect, then they're a failure. And I just keep saying to them, you're not striving for perfection, you're striving for excellence, right? So you're just trying to get better at this every single day. And I, I, I don't even know who said this quote, but I've seen it up around uh, even at work. And it, it's just, um, it, doesn't get, it doesn't get easier, you just get better. And yeah. I think that that's a really good one and, and applicable to sort of almost anything in life that you wanna be good at. So uh, yeah, phenomenal answer. Um, how would you like people to reach you? And we'll, we'll put things in the show notes too, but uh, is there a specific way that you like to be uh, contacted? I'm a big fan of smoke signals. So if anybody, I, I like, but disclaimer, like I can't read smoke signals. So I'm going to need somebody to come and teach me first. They're looking for you. Yeah, exactly. So if I see smoke the on sky, the horizon. Yeah. It's I'm either like, a wildfire ah, in California or it's someone trying to reach you. Ooh, that's hitting too close to home, huh? <laughs> those <laughs> right, those wildfires. Right. It might be happening right now. It's, yeah. It's, it's getting you into know, fire season. Okay. So if you're not, if you're not good with smoke and fire, then the best way is probably um, to go to InvictusMultifamily.com. If you're interested in learning about what we do on the real estate side, you can find me at AnthonyVicino.com. And I'm on all the social medias. Like LinkedIn is my primary stomping grounds, but if you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and you know, we mentioned the podcast before. So if either of those sounds like something that is up your alley and you want to learn more about, I encourage you to go and you know find them on iTunes and give them a listen. Yeah, sounds good. And, and like I said, we'll have the, the links in the show notes. Um, one final question that I think will be a good one for you. What advice would you like to leave for people who maybe have a similar background uh, that you've had and you know, sort of with, with the struggles that you faced and, and, and now uh, how successful you've become, what, what would you tell them? The, the piece of advice that's been playing in my head this week, it seems like every week I have like a different piece of like a uh, different nugget that I'm chewing on. And the one that I'm chewing on this week is the Chinese proverb that the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The next best time is today. And you can let your past and your baggage and all the things that you didn't do, you didn't capitalize on all the opportunities of your youth. You can let that hold you back, but it's not going to move you forward. And so recognize that right now is an opportunity to make that positive decision and move forward. And if you just break up all of life's infinite decisions that come at you at any given moment, and just look at each one and say, what's the plus one decision here? What's going to move me forward? What's the best use of my life and my time? And just start where you are right now. Like there's no better time than just starting that journey. If you're older, if you're in your forties or fifties or sixties, like game's still on, man, you're still in it. So get to playing. And if you're in your twenties, thirties, and you don't know what you're doing, that's okay. Start doing something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just pick something and start. Uh, I, mm -hmm. I really love that. I, I, 
I, uh, I'm a big fan of Gary Vaynerchuk and he, he always talks about there is no time machine, right? So stop, yeah. stop worrying about what you should have done and just start doing. And so I, th I think that's, that's fantastic exactly advice. Right. It's not, you know, it, it's, you still, you have as long as you have, so you might as well make the best of it. There's no, there's no point in thinking, oh, I only have a little bit left time, you know, that all those limiting beliefs. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. The ref hasn't blown the whistle yet, man. You're still exactly. on the right side of the yep. dirt. So <laughs> keep playing. You don't fail until you quit. So just exactly just all, the, all those cliches, but they're cliches because they're but true. The so for it, it's a, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, Anthony, this was awesome. I really appreciate you uh, coming on and all of the value that you've provided. I think people will love this. Um, love hearing what you have to say and we'll get all of your information in the show notes and uh, hopefully you'll get a lot of uh, new viewers on your podcast as well. I appreciate it, man. This was a fantastic conversation. I had a lot of fun. Thank you. Me too. All right. Take care.